Welcome to this week's podcast at Bergen Park Church from Evergreen, Colorado. We hope you enjoy this message, and if you'd like to hear any more or learn more about the church, please visit bergenparkchurch.org. Well, hey, happy 4th of July. It's good to see you guys here. Welcome to Bergen Park Church. We're glad, uh, glad you've chosen to gather with us on this, uh, this Sunday morning. How many of you are running the 5K tomorrow? I mean, imagine, no, anyone, a few, got a couple, a couple takers up front. Well, good. Hey, it's good to have you guys here. If you want to jump in, we're going to jump right in this morning into Revelation chapter 3. We're just finishing up a series of the book of Revelation that we've, we've taken the last seven weeks looking at the letters to the churches in Revelation. And really, it's an opportunity for us to reflect on what Jesus values in a church. And how might Jesus evaluate us? You know, the world evaluates us a certain way, the church. Sometimes Christians, we evaluate the church a certain way. What does Jesus care about the church? What, is, what matters to him? And that's what this letter to the book, uh, to the churches in Revelation, these seven churches, Jesus is looking at the church saying, hey guys, this is what I love about you. And then like today saying, guys, listen, there's some challenges that you have. There's some real issues we need to address. And if we don't get these issues right, we're not going to get life right, we're not going to get God right, we're not going to get relationships right, we're not going to engage well in the world, and you're not going to get joy, peace, happiness, contentment, really freedom right, if we don't get our heart right with him. And today we're looking at this letter to the church in Laodicea, it's the last of the seven letters to the seven churches. And many commentators will say this letter most reflects the church in America, of all the churches, of all the challenges and the, and the difficulties, though, there, there are many similarities. Many commentators will say when they look at the letter to the church in Laodicea, this is where the American church is, certainly today. I don't know if you know this, but Christianity tends to move quite a bit. It started off in the Middle East. If you didn't know, Jesus was Jewish. Yeah, he was. And, and it kind of got started there. That's, if that's news to you, then I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're here. It started off right in the Middle East, and then it kind of moved to Turkey, and then eventually it started going towards Europe, and you know that that's declined. I mean, there's very few Christians in the Middle East and the Turkey, and then to Europe, and you know, Europe has declined, and then it came over to the Americas, and America now, Christianity's declined, and it's moved down to Brazil, to China, different areas, because see, once Christianity finds a position of power, often power and humility don't work. And so you find that the gospel moves, the church moves. It doesn't stay in one place like Islam or Buddhism or Hinduism. kind of stays in the place of its origin. Christianity doesn't. And to the church in Laodicea, there's this warning that, that really applies to us that this passion that we had for Christ has grown, has grown tepid, lukewarm. And in growing lukewarm, what we've forgotten is our purpose. That why, why are we here? Why is the church here? And it's not just here for us, though we are the church, it's not just here, and certainly God wants to comfort, to guide, direct, but see, we're here for a purpose, a mission, a God-centered mission, to go out to the world, to proclaim the gospel, and to live the gospel in a way that's compelling. And so to the church in Laodicea, we see a lot of similarities to the church today in the United States. So let's jump in. If you want to pick it up, we're Revelation chapter 3, we're going to pick it up in verse, in verse 14. Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. The word of the Lord. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea writes, 
The words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. Would that you'd either be cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I'm rich. I have prospered. I, have, I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And so I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may truly be rich, and white garments that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your own nakedness may not be seen, and solve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. For those whom I love, I reprove, and I discipline, and so be zealous and repent." Behold, I stand at a door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him, and he with me. To the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I have conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Father, as we gather this morning, may we have ears to hear. And Lord, whatever we bring into this moment, whether there's challenges in our life, whether it's celebration or hopes or dreams, Father, we want to lay them down before your feet. You are an inheritance. You are a precious treasure. And Father, there's so many things that we treasure in this world that, that gain our affections. They, they gain the ascendancy in our mind and our heart, and we want to lay them down before you. And Father, just to ask through the power of the Spirit, would you teach us? Would you show us who you are, and in showing us who you are, show us where we are with you, and Father, out of that to bring true freedom, renewal, restoration. We need you. We need you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In the words of Pink Floyd, this church is comfortably numb. And the worst part is they have no idea. See, that's what's so shocking about this passage is the way they evaluated their own spiritual condition and the way that Jesus evaluated their condition couldn't be further from the truth. And it causes me to pause and say, okay, how far off am I? You know, the way I see myself and my spiritual condition before God and the way Jesus sees me, you know, if he had to look at me, would he say, Wretched, pitiful, I mean, pretty harsh words. Naked, poor, blind. And what am I saying? Hey, I'm rich. I got it together, Jesus. You want me on your team? Look how well I'm doing. I've got the word, I've got the spirit, I'm living the Christian life. This is the abundant life. And then Jesus says, Jason, you don't know what you're talking about. I wonder how far our evaluation of ourself might be from where Jesus might describe us. Because the challenge in this church is this term, lukewarm. Verse 15. Church, where you've gone wrong is you've become lukewarm. Now, we need to unpack that, just kind of understand what does that mean. Now, historically, the city of Laodicea did not have a strong water source. 
I think to the east of them was Heropolis. Heropolis was filled with hot springs. And just like Idaho Springs, what do we do? We like to sit in the hot springs. For whatever reason, we think hot water carries medicinal values. And that's what they believed about these hot waters in Heropolis is that it carried medicinal values. So hot water is good. But see, in Colossae, they didn't have hot springs. They had cold springs. And they believed cold springs was medicinally valuable. Cold is good. Hot is good. In between is bad. Because what happened is the city of Laodicea, they had to truck in water. They had to have aqueducts that would bring it from Heropolis, bring it from the river, bring it from Colossae. And when cold water is traveling through the desert, it gets dirty and it gets warm but not warm to the point of a hot spring, which is medicinally valuable. Instead, it's just lukewarm. So here's a traveler going through the desert, and they see this aqueduct, and they go to the water. It's not cold and refreshing. It's not hot and medicinal. It's just just lukewarm, and it makes you a little sick. And Jesus, as he's evaluating the spiritual vitality of this church, he's using a common reference in that day, and he's saying, guys, you're just like the water. You're just like the aqueduct. You're lukewarm. You've forgotten why you're here. See, here is a church that's forgotten their purpose. Often, I think, in the church in the West, one of the big challenges is just the way we do church. I mean, it is a challenge. It's On the one hand, we love great music and good communicators, and we have great books and authors. But some of that, because of the consumerism of the West, it makes the church really a place to consume As you go to Walmart to gather your your goods and your services, you go to the church to gather your goods and services. And there are churches that are kind of geared towards every type of worship style. I mean, from the very liturgical to the very relaxed to the loud to the quiet. And the church in America really has captured that customization of church, right? And it can cause us to believe that church is something we come and experience. It's something we take from. And if I don't like it, then I go take from another location. But see, the church is not a consumer experience. We are the church. And what we bring is ourselves. And we bring ourselves to God. And in the church, we pray. We read scripture together. We get in community together so that we can go out to a world that's not heard the gospel or seen the gospel. And love on the world the way that Jesus loved on us. But see, if we don't get the big mission of the church, then what happens when we gather is we kind of look for our own needs and we don't ask the question, how can I engage? Where can I serve? I'm sure there's somebody at Bergen Park praying for the church, right? You've said that. <laughs> I don't need to go to the prayer meeting. Somebody's going to do it. I'm sure there's somebody taking care of the little kids. I mean, I see little kids. They're coming in someone's got to be doing I know there's small groups someone's in those communities somebody's serving somebody's giving somebody's got to be giving here listen they got the lights on every week I don't need to give they don't need me and we start to think that there's this consumer relationship to the church instead of realizing that God has called us out of the world for himself And it's not about the pastor up here on Sunday morning or the worship team or what we do just this hour on Sunday. No, the church is us going out into the world with the spirit of God in us, with the truth of God in us, with a community of people around us to proclaim and share the gospel to a world that needs to know who our God is. He is the beginning. He is the firstborn above all creation. It says in verse 14 that he created all things. And he wants to know us. In this church in Laodicea, they had forgotten who they are 
And in forgetting who they are, they forgot how to live. And they became lukewarm. And what happens in churches is, is the more that we consume and the less we serve, the more lukewarm we become. It's kind of like the Dead Sea. You've heard that illustration where the water goes into the Dead Sea but nothing comes out. And it just gets deader and deader if that's possible. And over time, I mean, there's no life in the Dead Sea. And that's what happens sometimes when we just simply receive, 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 but we don't learn to give. We don't learn to step in. And Jesus is saying this church has grown. It's grown lukewarm. So verse 17 In verse 17, we see two evaluations, one that comes from Jesus and one that comes kind of from us, right? And here's the evaluation of the church, verse 17. Watch this. You say, church in Laodicea, I'm rich, I'm prosperous, I don't need anything. That was, in fact, the slogan of the city. The slogan of the city of Laodicea is, we don't need anyone. And it was true. They were wealthy. In 60 AD, this massive earthquake hit the city of Laodicea. And usually when a massive earthquake kind of knocks everything out, you need resources. You need FEMA, right? You need somebody. You need Samaritan's Purse to come in and clean things up, not Laodicea. They had enough gold and enough resources to rebuild their own city. They didn't need anyone. They had textiles. They had black wool to cover themselves. They had clothing. They exported clothing out into the world. They had gold. They also had a lot of medicine. It was known as a a medicinal center. They had this eye salve that apparently could cure a lot of eye ailments. And their idea was, we don't need the rest of the world. We're self-sufficient. We have it all together. And what's happened over time is the attitude of the world became the attitude of the church. The attitude of the exterior world became the attitude of the church. We are self-sufficient. We're not dependent on anyone. We have enough wisdom. We have enough might. We have enough power. We don't need any help. And see, that material idea began to infect this church spiritually. They didn't know what it was like to be with them. One of the most dangerous questions you can ask if you're ready for this, certainly ask the ones that love you, is what is it like to be with me? Because often we are the one person we'd know the least. You know, the last couple of years have been challenging going through COVID, and one of my counselors said to me, you know, Jason, I wonder if you went to your wife and just said, Melissa, what is it like to be with me? Yeah, I wasn't laughing, though, when I asked. (laughs) And, of course, she wants to answer positively. You know, it's kind of like, you know, you got to get past that, right? I love being with you. Of course, okay, hon. I know, but it's been challenging. And eventually she said, you know, what is it like to be with me? It's it's lonely. It's lonely because you don't know what you need. And if you don't know what you need, then you don't know how to be with me. And see, here's a church that doesn't know what they need, so they don't know how to be with Jesus. Because what does Jesus assess? Again, look at verse 17 if you want to put that up. On the screen, he says, here's my assessment of you. You are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Hey, we got everything. No, I need to clothe you. I need to cleanse you. I need to heal you. I need to support you. I need to be with you. You don't know what it's like to be with me because you don't know your own condition. Jesus assesses this church, and he sees something very different. See, when you lose touch 
When you lose touch of your neediness, you lose touch with reality. When you lose touch with your neediness, you lose touch with reality. So what's the solution? Look at verse, at verse 18, he says, I counsel you, and here's what I'm gonna counsel you to do, is to buy something you do not have gold for, to buy gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, white garments so that you may clothe yourself in the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, solved to anoint your eyes so that you may see. This church that thinks they need nothing, in fact, they need a lot from, from God. And it's a very similar story. When you go through the Old and the New Testament, you see this over and over. Jesus talked more about wealth than any other subject. And in the Old Testament, when the nation of Israel was impoverished, right, they were enslaved. They were pitiful, poor, blind, and naked, and God rescued them and pulled them out. saying, I'm going to take you to a land flowing with milk and honey. And when you get there, guys, one, one warning. Okay, first of all, don't worship the gods, right? Don't worship the foreign gods. But when you get there, don't get comfortable. Because once you start building homes and you start building businesses and everything's working and your kid's going to the right school and the body's working, the mind's working, you're going to forget me. That wealth has a way of causing us to believe we don't need God. So in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 11, God says this to his people. He says, take care. Deuteronomy 8, 11. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes which I commanded you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full... And you've built good houses and you live in them. And when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, see Laodicea, I need nothing, then your heart will be lifted up. And what happens? You'll forget the Lord your God. Why do you forget the Lord your God? You've forgotten your need. I don't need him. I've got flocks, I've got herds. I've got a wife that loves me who brought you out of the land of slavery. I've forgotten my need for God. Wealth has a way of causing us to believe things about ourselves that's just simply not true. That's why the writer of Proverbs, if you want to put this up, Proverbs chapter 30, verse 7, it says, two things I want to avoid in life. Two things I want to avoid. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove from me a false and lying lips. Give me neither, notice, poverty or riches. Feed me just with what is needful for me. Why? Verse 9. Lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Wealth, is, wealth has a way of causing us not to see our conditions spiritually before God. And how many stories did Jesus tell over and over and over? The rich young ruler comes to Jesus. Hey, how do I get eternal life? Good question. Great question, actually. And Jesus, looking at the condition of his heart, he's looking at what he's worshiping, and it was wealth. It was his own significance, his own power his own position in the world. And he says, before you can really have me, you need to recognize your need for me, so get rid of the stuff that's in the way between us. Sell everything you have. And it says he walked away with great sadness. Why? Because he had so much, he couldn't let it go. He couldn't see his own, his own need. And then he tells a story of a man who goes out in a field and he finds something of great value and great wealth. And because he recognizes its value and he recognizes his need, he goes out and he sells everything he has to purchase that field because he recognizes this is what I need. And this church in Laodicea, see, they thought they had everything they needed so they didn't know what to ask for from God. They didn't know their need for God. Isaiah 55, 
verse 1. Isaiah 55, verse 1, we see this very similar language in Isaiah 55 because God is saying to the nation of Israel, guys, you don't know what you need. And so notice the economy and the language of the economy. What are they going to use to buy what they need? Notice verse 1, come. Just like Jesus says, hey, I'm standing at the door and knock. Anyone that opens the door, I want you to come to me. I want to be with you. And he says, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Notice, he who has no money, come and buy and eat. Now, let me ask you, how do you buy something without money? What is the economy that Jesus is using? What's the currency that's going to allow me to drink and to eat? Come and buy. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. This is a strange kind of economy where you do not have money and yet he's inviting you to buy something. With what? With your need. What opens the door of God is your neediness. A recognition that I need him. James says, you know, hey, one of our problems is we don't recognize our spiritual condition. So he says, wash your hands, you sinners. Cleanse your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Now, these are harsh language. Turn your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord. And what's going to happen? He's going to exalt you. He's going to give you what you need. We live in a culture that wants us to deny our neediness. But see, in the spiritual life with God, the only way we can have him and grow in him is we have to recognize the depths of our needs and to bring those needs to him. That's what caused this church to be lukewarm. They wouldn't recognize, they couldn't see just how much they needed him. And realize how much Christ had done for us. I mean, Jesus lived the life we should have lived. He became a human being. He died on the cross for us. He rose again. I would think if I had done that much for you and you didn't need me, I'd be pretty ticked. I mean, sometimes you get that way with your kids, right? It's like, man, look at how much I've done for you. I keep, I keep loving you, pouring my life out for you. You would think the next thing after he evaluates you is condemnation. But notice that's not where Jesus goes, though Though he gives a lot to us, he continues to pursue us. And in verse 19, notice the language that he uses to this church that cannot see their need and is rebellious towards them. He says, those whom I love. I love you. Church in Laodicea, Bergen Park Church, I love you. And the way I love you is by rebuking and disciplining. Now, I don't like either one of those terms. Now, a rebuke is momentary. Reprove means someone comes to you and says, hey, this is what's wrong. Discipline is a long-term goal. That the way that Jesus works in our life, he corrects us, but then he disciplines us towards an ultimate goal. And what motivates him is his love. It's his love. That though you do not see your need, and though you do not realize what you need, I still, I still love you. And his love shows up as this in verse 20. How does his love show up? Shows up through his presence. To this church that has rejected him, that says, I do not need you, I am okay, I've got everything I need, he says, behold, to this church that has rejected me, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Jesus longs 
for intimacy with his church. That's surprising to me. Man, this church got it wrong. Their evaluation of themselves, wrong. Evaluation of what they needed, they rejected what Christ gave, and yet he's saying, guys, I'm still here with you, and what I want more than anything is to eat with you. You know what made the Pharisees the most angry at Jesus? Who he ate with. Right? God doesn't eat with those kind of people. Pharisees are thinking he's got to eat with the rich and the smart. Those that have it together. He even told a story about that. Remember that? This guy has a party. He's going to throw this big banquet, right? Invite all his friends. And then the hour comes for the banquet, and who shows up? Nobody. I mean, his rich friends, they don't need it. I don't need a banquet. Then he says to his servants, go out there and find every rejected, lonely, poor, pitiful, blind, naked person you can find and bring them in. Because, see, they know what they need. And, see, Jesus longs to be with those who know they need him. To eat with someone is a picture of intimacy. And I wonder if the reason we may not feel God's presence or sense his truth, we don't hear his voice, is because we just don't think we need him. And there's something else. Maybe it's wealth. It could be success. Our own self-sufficiency, something is in the way of our humility and our recognition of, of where we are. That he wants to set us free. But sometimes it's, if I could be honest, I mean, I just don't listen to his voice enough. That the way he wants to set us free, the truth sets us free, but the truth he wants to give us is the truth we've got to listen to. And there's so much of the world that we're listening to, certainly in the political world, there's so much that we're listening to today that divides us from the voice of the Spirit. Now, sometimes we align it with the voice of the Spirit, which gets things really weird. Or the voice of money or the voice of success, the voice of kids, we don't stop and listen to the voice of God. And that's what the whole letters to the churches is about. Will you listen to me? And so I just encourage you, church, I mean, are you learning to listen to him? And some of that can be as simple as taking a, a verse, that app of the day where you get that verse that comes in and just meditating on it and saying, okay, God, I, I just want to hear your voice right now. I want to allow this truth to saturate my heart and my mind, my emotions, just to think your thoughts after you. And then after you allow those thoughts to circulate, just simply to ask him, hey, Father, what do I need? What do I most need right now? I know what I think I need. But what do you think I need? What do you say that I need? And then, you know, it's hard. It, it takes time, you know, kind of like working out. I mean, you first start working out, it's awkward. You look weird, right? You're, you're in the wrong machine at the wrong time, doing the wrong thing. Muscles hurt. But over time, you start to get that competency. And the same thing in the spiritual realm. The more you start listening, the more you start hearing his voice. And his desire in hearing your, his voice is intimacy, that you might be with him, that he might eat with you. Hey, I don't know where you are this morning. We're going to celebrate communion in just a few moments, but I just encourage you to rediscover your need. And you may know externally, hey, this is what I want you to fix. God, I want you to fix these relationships, these challenges, this illness. And instead of just presenting what you think you most need, maybe invite him to show me my need. Show me what you want me to see. Jesus, you are the one who is the beginning and the end, the firstborn from among the dead. 
You're the beginning of the church. You've put the spirit within me. Would you speak to your child? Hey, if you haven't had a chance to grab the communion elements when you came in, would you take the opportunity now to do that? We're gonna celebrate communion and in this time of reflection, just ask the spirit to speak to us, to show us where we are, to show us what we need. And so if you wanna take and grab those elements, I wanna encourage you to do that as the worship team leads us and just to allow the spirit to search your heart to show you where you are, to say, hey, Father, you know, what, what am I putting in the way of you? What is too important? And sometimes it means tracking your own fears. Father, what am I most afraid of right now? Where does my mind go to? What am I running to? What do I think is the solution to my problems? Father, it, is, it takes courage to see our need. And so in Jesus' name, the light of your love and the light of the gift of your presence and the light of the presence of the one who loves us and rebukes us and disciplines us for our good. Father, give us the courage to look deeply through the power of the Spirit into what we most need this morning. Spirit, would you reveal the truth about who God is and in that the truth of who we are. Meet us here. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing. Father, nothing, nothing I desire beside you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but Jesus, you are the strength of my heart. You are my portion forever.